This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for February 9th, 2016. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, Xpeke hints at returning to Pro League of Legends just when it looks like Origin might need it. We'll also be taking a look at Envy's victory in the Global Esports Cup and the unpredictable performance of their star players. But first, the Overwatch beta returns today, which isn't normally something that would interest us on this show. Right, yeah. Except that we're already seeing some of the top gaming organizations starting to sign Overwatch teams to compete. Uh, Andrew, my, my question for you, does investment from pro organizations make it more likely that a game's competitive scene will take off? Uh, or are these teams kind of just playing the lottery while the publisher's money is still good <laughs> and they're willing to pump money uh, into an up-and-coming scene? Um, I think it, that it, it certainly lends uh, the scene, the Overwatch scene, a certain amount of credibility. You know, in the same way that it gives like League of Legends mainstream credibility when it gets investment from these major sports teams, uh, like we saw last year with... Um, with these different uh, major sports teams and investors, these really high-profile people uh, in traditional sports getting invested in League of Legends. Uh, in, in that same way, it kind of gives Overwatch like niche esports scene credibility when teams like SK uh, and Envious start showing their logo around the game. Um, these are organizations now that are older than these games, that they're more respected than these games and, and more stable than these games in a lot of ways. And it gives Overwatch, I think, a certain sense of momentum that other upstart games can struggle with. So when people start to say like, oh, SK and Envious are starting to get involved in this game, it means like there's a certain sense that like this is the future. Like this is the, they're identifying something important about this game and it gives it some momentum. Um, you know, the analogy that I kind of come to is like, most American football fans do not care about the Canadian Football League. Um, but I would be willing to bet that if NFL teams, American football teams, started opening franchises in the Canadian Football League, like if there was an Edmonton branch of the Dallas Cowboys or something like that, you might see a little bit more interest in what's happening in that league, at least from Cowboys fans. Um, what I think that this helps is it gives like, long-time esports fans something to grasp onto uh, with, an with an opaque new game. Um, we may not understand Overwatch terribly well um, or know who even our favorite teams yet are, what they're going to be in that scene. But if I, as a, as a new fan to Overwatch, can look and notice that Envious has a squad in Overwatch, I can say, hey, I like Envious. I hope they win. And that at least creates some base level drama that I can enjoy without truly understanding the game of Overwatch. I think it, it helps create a, a bridge for new players until they can grasp that new game. For me, I, I always, though, find myself flashing back to uh, various misbegotten esports efforts of, of games past. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, actually, because I was talking to, uh, to, to Hastro, the, the owner and, and CEO of, of Envious, about this, this team acquisition. Envious, you know, kind of run a team just about in, in every shooter. Uh, they even have a Gears team. Uh, oh really? For example, uh, yeah. And, well, and, and talking to Hastro, like this is kind of like you know they they are one of those teams that really really are like their business, but then they do make some decisions that are just kind of about eh, we want to be in the scene, we like these guys, whatever, we'll support it. Huh, okay. um, but the the thing is, the the thing I remember is like I have these vivid memories of of IPL five, uh, 
where there was this this massive shoot mania tournament at IPL five. Um, which oh. do you remember? Do you remember shoot mania? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the future for a little while. People thought that was going to be big. Yeah, and well, I mean, people thought that was going to be big when like there, you know, there were like people. There was like shooter fans and and pro shooter players were just like in the desert, right? And they were starting yeah. to hallucinate new scenes. Absolutely. And you know what? That was before the big Counter Strike boom too. That was before people kind of elected Counter Strike to be the first person shooter of well, the new era. I'm not even sure Global Offensive was out by IPL yeah, 5 it might have still that been stuck be between source and 1.6 sure sure because that was that was sort of the dark time in, in Counter-Strike but anyway so I'm at this tournament and shoot mania like it sounded like the next big thing until you actually saw it in action mm-hmm. and, and then like within 30 seconds you knew this was not going to be the game <laughs> of the future <laughs> like it was it was like it was a phenomenally ugly game uh so, like yes. it looked like an early voxel game from like nova logic or something <laughs> uh but somehow wasn't uh it wasn't a game like that yeah but uh, they, they hyped it as this game with an, an incredibly high skill ceiling which was what i think in, in like uh brought in most uh shooter fans like these csgo fans or these quake fans right and uh you know and and that was sort of the interesting thing was um so you you had a lot of these players there who it turned out were sort of famous from other games Mm -hmm. uh that there was this entire like basically in the wake of uh the end of like the quake and unreal pro scenes uh there was suddenly this like (laughs) <laughs> these this like this group of like Ronin shooter players <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, who yeah. went from game to game and w- would would just sort of w- would just sort of end up uh dominating them and so when I was talking to Hastro at Envious it turns out that a lot of the guys on the squad they just hired kind of fit that bill uh, mm-hmm. I, had, I had a nice chat with um uh one of their players Tailspin uh Ronnie Dupree uh who has been you know he competed in Shoot Mania won prize money there he completed in uh poor poor firefall oh sure yeah which <laughs> may have actually there, there might have been a hope for that game if it hadn't been so ab- abysmally managed um but it was it was it was just interesting to me because like these these are players who are sort of your consummate survivors right mm-hmm. and yeah. they will be in a game they're, they're really good at shooters they're really good at like learning new ones and 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 learning to sort of dominate them uh just long enough to collect whatever like publisher prize money yeah. is put out there yeah, yeah yeah and then you know the, the the game takes off it doesn't they uh they all bail out but it's it's just interesting to me that you know on the one hand you know it it does build momentum for for these sort of nascent uh esports scenes on the other hand a lot of the people who uh get in on sort of the, the this first wave uh are to to a degree like they're ringers right they're they're kind yeah. of there to to see what they can get out of a game i'm not saying they're not sincere about it like you mm-hmm. talk to these guys they want a game to to call home right like yes. everyone wants a yeah. career it can't have been great going from like quake tournaments to like you know playing shoot mania in like an empty ballroom that yeah, could have been a good feeling Absolutely, and but I think it's it's like something that a, a lot of people who don't know esports inside and out don't really understand about a lot of these players is that what makes you good at one esport usually makes you really good at just about every esport. Um, it, it tends to be about having the certain kind of mindset that just makes you approach games in the right way and deconstruct them and get the most out of them that you possibly can. Um, a while back, I was in a professional uh, Rocket League uh, tournament with a bunch of just indie, in, uh, industry professionals, and uh, DJ Wheat 
had a team in there. And turns out DJ Wheat just rolls people in Rocket League just because he's amazing at video games, just in general. The the uh, caster DJ Wheat, and this is just this is just a thing that they can move from game to game. It doesn't it doesn't matter exactly what game it was. I'm sure, and certainly they have a leg up if it's just moving from shooter to shooter. Um, but like, yeah, the, the more to the point, frankly, I think we see this a lot with these sort of new and vacant esports. Like most of these teams, uh, they're based on sponsorships. It's like they, they don't they don't rely as much on the on the prize money as far as I understand. They're based on these on these advertising sponsorships. So regardless of how big a game's popularity is, these teams know that if they're the first into the pack, then they have that small audience all to themselves. Um and furthermore, I think it's a fairly safe bet that a Blizzard game is going to gain some amount of popularity. Uh, and FPSs tend to be uh, fairly localized to one specific region, which bodes really well for advertising. You know, there aren't really uh, a ton of these tournaments in, in FPSs where you're going to need to send, you know, the entire team to a different continent to compete. You know, and, and all of these things, these the fact that it's... Um, it, there's not that much competition in the space. You're not going to have to pay for seven people to to have a European vacation just to compete in a tournament. Uh, these things make them make a game like Overwatch a relatively safe and inexpensive investment to just sort of put a team in there in case it blows up, just to see what happens. Um, and kind of all of this is just to say that I'm not so ready to declare this like a huge victory for Overwatch just yet, just because they got a couple of big organizations in, in the scene, um, because I can understand why an organization like Envious um, might want to just do a cheap little experiment here. Yeah, and that's a good point. The, for for the teams themselves, it isn't a huge risk, and it's actually the players who are who are more dependent on on that prize money. Like you know, one 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 suspects there's not like huge contracts being signed with these sure, with yeah. these teams based on unproven games. Uh, th- still, I think the you know I think the outlook is is pretty good for for Overwatch, partly because Blizzard's done a great job of, of getting people excited about that, uh, but also it just seems like you know. Another scene I sort of loosely track is uh, Team Fortress 2, mm-hmm. which is, that has never been a competitive game that's really taken off, uh, despite it being a really, really perennially popular uh, shooter. But what, what's been interesting is, you know, as I understand it, uh, Blizzard have been really aggressive in sort of reaching out to that community and starting to get... Uh, you know, pros and community leaders in in TF2 sort of invested in uh, sort of the top tier of, of Overwatch and sort of developing it that way. So, it you know, it's it. I think I think from Blizzard's point of view, you, you know, you're you're seeing a lot of the right moves being made, right? Where mm-hmm. you're you're getting sort of the the you know the the big names from a lot of other scenes uh, starting to in, invest in your game, and it you know early early Overwatch esports might look quite a bit more mature uh, than you'd expect from a new game. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got all these different organizations coming from like that. That's the smart move. There it is not trying to invent a scene from the ground up, but actually to take one that's already fully formed uh, in, in team fortress two and not trying to reinvent the wheel with a totally new esport, but just bring over those, those teams and in by extension, bringing over those fans into overwatch as well and having a ready-made community just set to go. So, Speaking of envious, uh, they're also in the news this week because they broke their recent uh, slump, dry spell, uh, w- with a win at the Global Esports Cup over Dignitas. Andrew, I'll, I'll tell you what I found interesting about this tournament. Uh, I kind of expected that that Envy would win just looking at the list of entrants here, 
Mm-hmm. Envy are a first tier team. I, I think we would both agree. And yeah. and this tournament kind of felt like a, a tier two and a half tournament. And I don't know. It's it, it's a weird thing, right? Because I think the existence of like Fnatic and Navi kind of skew what our impression of of tier one is. Like mm-hmm. the fact that we keep having this conversation about who's really the best in the world, and yeah. the conversation really revolves around one team, and then whoever's been hot lately from from right, the rest right. of the first tier. So so it's a little. It, it can be a little distorting to have like those those teams out there, and they kind of probably mess with your impression of of what the what the top of Counter Strike looks like. Still, you know, there was no Fnatic here. There was no Navi here. Uh, this was this was sort of a tournament for the best of the rest to to kind of dominate. And then there were teams that were just not at that level. And so I kind of expected it to be a bit of a foregone conclusion for for Navi for uh, for Envious. But it really wasn't. Uh, the, you know, probably the stiffest competition here came from Astralis, who are the former Team Solo Mid uh, Counter-Strike team from last year. Uh, but just looking at this tournament as a whole, you know, the gaps in skill level when you get past that fanatic Navi level are a lot smaller than, than I'm used to thinking, right? Like this, watching yeah. this tournament, I was like, oh, this is not the stomp that I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and you can kind of see it uh, even in Envious's matches in the in the first round of like the playoff section uh, past the group stage uh, when they played against Cloud Nine, which is a team that you would expect them to annihilate. This North American team that's really over the last six months been more about bravado than about actual you know, stats and performances. Uh, but really, both of their games were were quite close. Um, this was the kind of experience that I this whole tournament was like the kind of experience that I really wanted to see out of Envious. Because here was a tournament where like one of their marquee players was actually really struggling, and I think that was one of the one of the things that that brought them down in a couple of those early mass, uh, matches uh, and made them struggle a little bit more. Uh, but this guy Kiyoshima, who is probably the CS:GO player who we've talked about most on this show, um, simply because he tends to be such a fun playmaker, uh, Kiyoshima uh, ha- had a negative kill death ratio in all of Envious's final three matches, um, so really not pulling his weight at all um, for a member uh, for a high profile member on quite a top tier team um but the performance from their sniper kenny s was hilariously lights out this guy had a a plus 30 kill ratio uh in both the semifinals and the finals match um and like to me this is really what we needed to see from envious like i think personally as an envious fan i wanted to see like a star player you know, rise to the occasion, show up, and just like tap dance on some fools, and 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 so like this this experience from Mbius for me was like actually really heartening because that's what we got here uh, from from Sniper Kenny S. Uh, and frankly, given the level of competition at this tournament, it's really what they absolutely needed to be able to do. If their sort of like team leader couldn't dominate over this pack of teams then envious truly needed to give up like their claim on being in the top tier uh, of CS:GO teams. And frankly, like. Seeing this come out of the out of their their sniper again really just makes me kind of like I, I wish that these CS:GO teams would put more publicity and more emphasis behind their marquee players, their snipers, because all of these top tier teams, you know, when you talk about uh, Navi, it's Guardian who just completely pulls that entire team along with his amazing play uh, with the AWP, and it's so much fun. Like I would love to see more of these, more publicity and more narrative being put behind um, these really marquee star players that are just floating entire teams. So there's there's a couple things there. Uh, first, I think for me, I'm, it's starting to dawn on me that when we started to really follow Envious, 
Mm-hmm. We may have been catching Kiyoshima at a really weird and improbable streak in his career. <laughs> that uh, may be true. Because, I mean, first of all, like, the guy's position is, uh, he's he's like an, he's an in- entry fragger. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those guys are going to have those hit and miss performances, right? Because, like, a lot yeah. of times their job is to be the guy to break into the bomb site and hopefully get right. an exchange, right? Hopefully right. just take just the guy down. mess stuff up. Yeah. Uh, and and hopefully like they 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 take they they take someone down before they they're taken down themselves. But the main point is just to open the door for the rest of your team to come through and capture the bomb site. Okay, so like you're gonna have your ups and downs in that position. But yeah, there's no denying. Last summer and and early fall, Kiyoshima was kind of um, there were a lot of games where he where he was kind of carrying. A little bit, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and lately now we're starting to see. You know, he's having a good. He's having a good game if he's around. If he's like, if he's even Stevens in uh, in, yeah, in yeah, killed yeah. off. But yeah, Kenny S. Uh, I, I think is is clear that he is he is the star of, of that team. Uh, when when your opper has a good day, your team has a great day. Uh, <laughs> and the the other thing that you mentioned there. And this is, you know, this is going to be one of those coming problems in 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 esports. Uh, I, I feel like right now, you have by accident or design, it's it's hard to say, but you're you're, st- you're you have a little bit of a um, of an NFL situation insofar as the teams are the stars, right? And players are a little bit invisible except to people who who seriously follow a game right but like yeah when yeah. like fanatic had a had a major roster change uh you know like over this winter um god who i don't remember who it was uh but the, the point is well but the point is like i don't know that off, off the top of my head right I, I think it was i think it was uh dennis right it kind of it kind of serves your point yeah so but, but the point is fanatic is still fanatic you know, it's it's not a huge mm-hmm. like it's not something that really like is this is this huge deal to people who who follow a team, support a team, uh, and the problem is what people are what, what gets people excited, what makes the game really what what makes the game really great is these individual like clutch performances you see from from players, but then it's kind of like the brand gets all the attention. And that that tension may not be great for that may not be a great situation for players in particular uh, in in the coming months and years. Yeah, and I and I think that Counter Strike in particular is the kind of game where that's something that really I, I think is such a is such a primed little narrative hook for that game. Like selling it as as a game as an as an entertainment experience could be so beautifully heightened by making a couple of superstars uh by by sort of breeding a couple of superstars in this organization because counter-strike is a game where routinely you see individual players acting alone and pulling off really amazing uh, great feats like it's not the case where it's like the nfl where you know a quarterback can do something amazing but he does so at the pleasure of his offensive line um or something like that like, counter-strike is a game where a player can actually act all by themselves and, and make really amazing things happen. And that's such a, a, a powerful narrative hook and, and such a, a great selling point to be able to show this off to people, to show people a gif of Guardian getting a quadruple kill or something like yeah. that, just completely acting by himself. So much fun. It's such a great thing that is exclusive to Counter-Strike. 
speaking of of star players and uh, what happens when you get to become the the face of a team, the face of a game. <laughs> uh, so this week, uh, the uh, this week we had an interview on the Score Esports, where uh, Origin owner and semi-retired mid laner XPAC A said that he was working on getting back into competitive form uh, to return to LCS later this year. And you know that's exciting for old fanatic fans, uh, but. Getting XPK back into the lineup might actually be a more pressing concern for XPK's Origin team. Uh, you know, Origin were were predicted by a lot of people, and I, I think I, I made confident predictions myself on this show, uh, that they were going to be a leading team in Europe, especially because they had sort of the most consistent lineup from 2015 and into 2016. Mm-hmm. But so far, they're mired in the middle of the pack with a 4-4 four and four record. Uh, it's, it's been a really undistinguished uh, spring split for them. And that makes me think, like, it might be time to get Europe's uh, greatest mid laner back in the rotation. Yeah, you know, so that, that interview you were talking about uh, was interesting because, like, he comes across uh, as really mature. You know, he's not playing right now because he knew he couldn't commit the time needed to remain at the pro level, which is like, personally, I love that kind of pragmatism. I love a a player who is mature enough to say like, yeah, this other player is better than me. Put him in for the time being. I'll sit on the bench and when I'm ready, I'll come back. You know, Xpeke is kind of in this like executive mindset as a team owner, uh, which is, you know, increasingly serious business uh, in esports. A a lot of that first generation of League of Legends pros uh, have had some success using their position to sort of carve out little esports empires for themselves uh, and xpk is sort of like playing the long game you know and that's an interesting contrast from some of those earlier owner players we've seen go before him where you know sometimes you had underperforming players who owned the, t- the team who can sometimes cause problems yeah i mean the most famous example of that uh being clg uh where you had hotshot gg uh you know as as the owner who toward the end of his active playing career was almost like playing the shell game uh with his roster like well where do i hide my, where do i hide myself the shittiest player on my team where can i hide myself here so that people won't notice that i like i stink uh, okay yeah, and yeah. that that created an absolute ton of, of drama and, and bad feelings and actually i think kind of kind of destroyed clg for for a couple competitive seasons uh because it chased away a lot of good players and it was just a really unstable situation but yeah there were a lot of there were a lot of owners uh and he was sort of the, the sort of the poster child for this who it you know their time was done they needed to 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 get out and focus on running the business and get a good player in there mm-hmm. and if an owner wasn't ready to do that or still having fun you know living the the pro life uh mm-hmm. they, they they wouldn't uh and so with that in mind like expect's example comes across really really well here but at the same time his team is struggling and in that interview you do hear them talk a little bit about how the game has changed and it could be that Origin have kind of gotten screwed because they were a team built around a slower sort of League of Legends. And this year, uh, on, on the current patch, you're, you're seeing a lot of games getting decided uh, well before the 30-minute the mark. Uh, so so the, the early stage is, is a lot more important, uh, and you can't quite count on sort of you know late game team fighting to, to sort of bail you out. Uh, a lot yeah. of games sort of take on an irreversible momentum uh, in, in that time. That said, I, I I feel like one of the things you get with Xpeke this this guy's been good on every patch, right? 
and the thing you get with Expeke is a really aggressive approach uh, that, that, you know, you I've seen like time and time again, he can psych out other teams uh, because yeah, he yeah. dictates the pace and style of the game. Uh, and right now I kind of feel like maybe that, that, that confidence, that energy is, is, is what Origin need. Uh, so it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in that mid lane position once X-Pac feel Xpeke feels he's ready to play again. And, and, you know, like that's the kind of thing I think that is undervalued in esports right now. And, and it, it's part of like Xpeke's legacy is he's one of these few players, the few most, like one of the rarest players ever in League of Legends, because he was the kind of player who could come in and he had a psychological effect in the game because Teams, he became famous for doing things that nobody ever expected. And that that becomes this this really, like you said, like kind of a psych out moment for these other teams because no one ever knows what he's going to do and they become kind of afraid of it. Uh, and and that's just so undervalued in esports where people are so focused on the micro. They're so focused on um, the stats of it all, of, of your gold per minute in League of Legends or in Dota 2 or whatever it is, and not focusing so much on how valuable it can be to have a really experienced, really intelligent in-game team leader. Uh, anyway, that's enough about the games of esports today. Let's get to esports tomorrow. Uh, so we were just talking about League of Legends, and this week is a really good time to tune into the EU LCS because it's a critical week for front-running H2K. On Thursday, they've got a, manage with, a match with Unicorns of Love, who've been doing really well this season and currently stand in third place. Then on Friday, they play G2 Esports, who are tied with H2K for the lead of the division. So this is one of those weeks where we find out how good these teams really are and more importantly, like how for real is H2K? Can they achieve that kind of regional dominance that we've kind of gotten used to seeing from, from truly great teams, right? Like to, 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 to stand a chance at Worlds is not enough to be number one in North America, one, number one in Europe. You've got to just pound those regions into the dust. Uh, and, and then, you, then you, know, you, fo- you turn your focus to, uh, to the year's end. So is H2K that kind of team? But but I mean, kind of what happened with Fnatic last year was is kind of a is kind of a great example. Is what I I think I really want to see from a, from a, a top ranking team is a team that's really battling it out against their competitors. Like you don't want to see like one team just trounce the the competition. You want to see these teams that are constantly pushing each other to, to new heights because that's what you have in Korea. You know that's what happens when when multiple great organizations clash. They push each other to to new great heights, and and that's what I think makes is going to one day make a team that really can make a splash at Worlds. Uh, so elsewhere in esports, as we've been kind of talking about recently in the esports tomorrow segment, there's just not that much going on uh, in esports next week because just about everything important in this quarter of the year, the whole quarter of the year, is heavily clumped up in that first weekend of March. Um, so to recap, uh, in this first weekend of March, we've got the Dota 2 Shanghai Major, we've got the IEM 10 World Championship, which is a uh, $250,000 major Counter-Strike tournament that everybody's going to be watching. Uh, and we also had the StarCraft 2 WCS winter circuit championship which is one of the biggest tournaments of the year uh, outside of south korea or blizzcon of the entire year um so i'm not really sure how i feel about all of this though because on the one hand having all of these events clumped up into one weekend makes it basically impossible uh to cover as a journalist or as a podcaster uh or even just as a fan who likes more than one esport um it makes it a living hell to actually view uh, those games in any serious way. Um, and that's something that I'd, I'd really love to see esports event 
planners start to take into consideration in the future. I feel like that was something that for a few years was was really good. People began to understand the value of spacing out esports events from one another um, because it, in the infancy of esports, it kind of damned certain events. Like if you accidentally went up against a major League of Legends event uh, as, as a Dota event or a first person shooter or as a shoot mania tournament, um, you just got completely crushed with viewership. Um, but we're getting to a point in the history of esports where people don't just like one single game, but they like the entire concept of competitive gaming. Um, and scheduling all of these events to overlap with each other like really harms that nascent class of esports fan uh, who really wants to try to follow everything. Yeah, but I... Are those people real? Like, like <laughs> I mean, this is, this is kind of the dilemma, right? Like, most people, I think follow one maybe two games tops and i actually think it's really unusual and we're the kind of people who who fit into this category mm-hmm. and people who listen to the show may, maybe fit into that category but i think most people like consider themselves like they're not esports fans they're counter strike fans they're 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 starcraft fans uh they're they're you know they're, they're dota fans and i and i think Maybe maybe this is a chicken or the egg problem, right? Maybe yeah. the reason that you don't have more people getting interested across esports is because uh, the ske- the calendar is so jam packed that nobody gives each other any any space to breathe, and may- maybe that is a problem. On the other hand, I, I I suspect I suspect that this is something that only like people who've sort of gone to the trouble of becoming sort of self appointed like esports enthusiasts mm-hmm. actually care about and i suspect most of the audience doesn't really notice because i think this is where this is where esports totally differentiate from traditional sports nobody counter nobody plays while the super bowl is on in esports there is no super bowl um, but I mean, well, first of all, that's why I kind of describe it as a nascent class of esports fans. Like yeah. this is this is just beginning to happen. I mean, esports as a fandom uh, is you know 15 years old, but like esports as like a serious mainstream fandom is only like three or four years old. Um, and and esports part of the reason why we don't have that in esports, I think, like if you had a situation like traditional sports where you know Counter Strike was played in the fall. And uh, StarCraft was played in the winter, and League of Legends was played in the spring, and Dota 2 was played in the summer. I think you would have a lot more people transitioning. (laughs) You would have a lot more people just transitioning from game to game and focusing on whatever game it was in that uh, that season. Whereas the same thing with traditional sports, if you just had this chaotic calendar where you might actually have the Super Bowl on at the same time as the NBA championships you would have a much, much smaller portion of fans actually trying to watch both the NBA Finals and the Super Bowl at the same time. You know, like, like, this is something that sports has, traditional sports has, specifically because they have gotten together with themselves and they have chosen to not try to compete with each other in this way and to strangle each other's audiences and to be okay with sharing audiences with other uh, with other sports. That's a, that's a good point as well. Maybe, you know, maybe what esports need are just some equivalent of weather conditions. Right, like oh, sorry, like it's it kind of, sorry, it's no more Counter Strike this year. Uh, the the DDoS storms have moved in for the season. We have to <laughs> we have to cancel the games. Uh, everyone run inside to play some League of Legends. So uh, like, there is there is one other aspect of this that really interests me though. Is that like this is 
this isn't traditional sports. Esports lives on the internet. And, and, and in a lot of ways, esports has grown because of social media and is at the mercy of social media because that's how people discover that events are actually on. Like people don't just go to the homepage of Twitch and say like, oh, there's a, an event I want to watch now. I'm going to watch that. They generally hear about it from their friends uh, on social media saying like, oh, shit, things are going down uh, in, in this major tournament. And that happens to a ton of people. And when you have all of these different things happening on social media at the same time, I think that it tends to create these like these moments uh, in air quotes uh, on social media where tons of people are at least watching and talking about one of these esports events. Um, and it has a way of making sure that like just about everybody, at least in the video game fandom, is at least hearing about some like one esport from a few of their fans at all times of that day. Uh, and 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 it it tends to evangelize the concept of competitive gaming to a lot of different people in those those sort of moments in, in scare quotes again um, so there are some possible benefits but i i don't know if they're worth uh, the detractions uh, right now personally that will do it for this edition of, e- of esports today and idle thumbs podcast produced by michael hermes until next week if you have any esports questions you can shoot them over to us at questions at esports.today we'll be back next week to discuss the past present and future of esports for andrew gruen this is rob zachney signing off